Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. If you have a Bible, open it to Hebrews chapter 10 is where we are this morning. As I mentioned last week, we're taking a break from our journey through Romans for the summer. We'll pick back up in Romans chapter 9 in August. And this Sunday, I want us to consider together as a local church how this beautiful gospel that we spend so much time on reveling in, especially as we're going through Romans, how this gospel should impact us, what impact it should have on us as a local church. And so I'm going to use this text, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, as a kind of crystallizing, motivating force to get us to consider this. Now, this is not our usual practice. If you're visiting with us for the first time today, I'm really glad you're here. I want you to say that one of the convictions, I want you to know that one of the convictions we have is that we work through books of the Bible. We preach expositionally through books of the Bible, and we want the the point of the message to be the point of the text. This morning, we're going to do something a little bit different, and this is, in a sense, a, a sort of pastoral exhortation, a kind of vision casting. I think that everything I'm going to say this morning, I hope, is biblical and true. Unlike most Sundays, it's not necessarily an an exposition verse by verse of the text that we're going to read. It's more of a, a pastoral vision casting, reminding, exhortation, encouragement about what we are doing here as, as a local church. And so let me read Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 25. I don't have the time to give you the context in depth of, of the whole book of Hebrews. Just suffice it to say that Hebrews was written to a group of Christians primarily who were ethnic Jews who had accepted Christ as their Messiah, as the fulfillment of their Old Testament scriptures. And because of a variety of forces, persecution and others, they were, they were tempted to forsake their trust in Christ and to go back to the old way. And the writer of Hebrews is exhorting them to remind them that Christ is better. He's better He's the fulfillment all of all these things. He's better than Moses. He's the true and better Moses. He's, he's the fulfillment of the law. He's the true priest that the Old Testament points to. And he's encouraging them and exhorting them to continue in the faith and to live a life together that lifts up the gospel for the sake of the glory of God. So let me, with that brief and insufficient intro, let me read Hebrews 10 verses 19 through 25. I want us to pay particular attention to verse 24. Let's read verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, 
not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let me read verse 24 again. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let me pray and ask the Lord to help us, and then we'll, we'll get into this. Lord, I pray that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth would be pleasing to you, O God, because you are my rock and my redeemer. I pray that as we spend time considering this passage and what it might look like in our lives as a local church, that you would make this local church look more like Jesus, that the aroma that comes from the life of this local congregation would smell more like Christ. And I pray for any of my friends that are in this room who do not yet know Jesus, that the picture of the Christ life, the, the picture of the impact of the gospel might be used by your sovereign, in your sovereign pleasure to draw them to faith in Christ. I pray that you do all these things for your glory and our joy and the good of your purposes among us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to see in this text, before we get into my pastoral exhortation and thoughts from it, just the, the clear gospel community conclusion that the writer of Hebrews is making there. The first, the first few verses, he's, he's saying to us clearly, therefore, brothers, verse 19, because we can enter the holy place. Now, that's, that's the gospel. It's much of what we've been talking about in Romans, that the holiness of God and the sinfulness of people separates us from this holy God, and we cannot enter. We, we cannot be in fellowship with God in and of ourselves, but because of what Jesus has done for us, God the Son, the Son of God, coming, becoming a man, bearing the wrath that should have been ours, living the perfect life that none of us could live, Christ has bridged the gap. He has reconciled his people back to God. So now, because of the gospel, because of not our works or our attendance or anything that we do, but because of this, verse 20, new and living way that he, meaning Christ, opened for us through the curtain that is his flesh. In other words, Jesus was torn for us on the cross because of that, because we have this high priest who is our advocate before God the Father, we can now be reconciled to God. Friends, that is the gospel. And so if you're here this morning and and you're not really clear on what the Christian message is. Or maybe you have been part of a church that has preached a kind of quasi-salvation by works that says that if you will do a certain amount of good things or have good intentions, that God will somehow be pleased with you. Friend, you have heard a lie. This alone is the truth. This is the only way that any human being from any culture, from any tribe, from any tongue can be made right with a holy God. We all, all of us, Americans, Guatemalans, Ugandans, Chinese, Californians, all types of people. <laughs> and I, I can make fun of Californians because that's my native land. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm going there in a week or two to visit uh, my, my people group. So pray, <laughs> pray, pray for me on that mission trip. All of us, all of us 
stand equally separated from God, and the only way that we can be reconciled to God is through trusting in Christ's life, death, resurrection. Friends, that's the gospel. But look at what the writer of Hebrews says then as a consequence of that, that in verse 22, we're now able to draw near to God with a true heart, full assurance of faith. We just spoke last Sunday at the end of Romans 8 about how we can have assurance of what God has done in us. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Our hearts can be sprinkled clean from evil consciences and our bodies can be washed with pure water. And then he exhorts us in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering because he who promised is faithful. And I love that. The fact that that's in there is an acknowledgement that we will waver and so he's an encouragement encouraging us not to waver. So if you're wavering right now, be encouraged. The Bible's written to you. And then in verse 24, he says, he takes the individual, the gospel that must be received individually, and he applies it in the context of life together with other Christians. He says in verse 24, and I think the context here is he's speaking to Christians in community, in the local church, he says in verse 24, and let us consider this vertical gospel that must, the only way we can be reconciled with the Holy God is through Christ, then this vertical gospel then works its way out horizontally, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. And so I want to give us a vision for stirring up one another to love and good deeds. I'm going to give you three thoughts, and then we're going to kind of work through these three thoughts. I'm just going to put them all up there on the screen at one time to orient you to where we're going. And then after I'm done, we're going to come around the Lord's table and receive communion together as, as a church family. Three things, three ways, three exhortations, three, three trajectories that I want to cast a vision or remind us on how we're to stir one another up to love and good deeds as a local church. The first is we must work to apply the gospel to all of life. We must strive for biblical community, and we must remember the mission of the church. We must work to apply the gospel to all of life. We must strive for biblical community, and we must remember the mission of the local church. The first one there, some thoughts about what this means to work to apply the gospel to all of life. Friends, we are a church, I hope you've noticed this, that takes the Bible and doctrine very seriously. We, we are not really interested in, in, in attracting you by a kind of cool vibe or by anything that might seem kind of like attractional to you, although we don't intend to be unattractional. <laughs> we're just, we, you know, we're not trying to be, uh, to be unhelpful. But, but we think that the thing that the church should do when it gathers is take the Bible that the Holy Spirit has inspired people to write through the centuries, that the Holy Spirit breathes through and works and is still living and active. We want to take it very seriously. And we want to seek to bring our lives under the submission of the Word of God. And we want to have good doctrine. Now, some people in our culture, some churches are... They're almost allergic to this word doctrine, but we all have doctrine. Maybe your doctrine is that doctrine isn't very important, but that's a doctrine. Do you see that? It's a bad doctrine, but it's a doctrine. It's a set of beliefs 
by which we view all of life. But, he, but here's my concern for us always as a church is that we can have good doctrine without the devotion that follows the good doctrine. Without the lives that are informed by the good doctrine. We must, we must do work to not just believe the gospel, but we must do work to actually cause the gospel to, to need and to work the gospel that we believe into every area of our life as a local church. And it must impact how we view the world, how we, how we view culture, how we view society. I, I think one of, just, just as a one example before we move on, one of the one of the more challenging things right now in the life of the local church in America is living in the context of the cultural tensions that we have nationally that we're facing. And I think some of the cultural tensions that we are facing nationally, we spoke about them, we, speak, we, we touch on them occasionally, are, are the political and racial divides that I think are probably more acute now than they have been at any time in my life, at least in my life. And I was born in 1971. Some of you that have lived earlier than that may, may disagree, but at least in my lifetime. We, we live in a, in a tense time. And, and Christians, well-meaning, true born-again Christians, sometimes find themselves on different sides of some of these tensions. And, and I, I want us to just... just Think about how the gospel might, might help us in the local church think about some of those tensions just, just very, very briefly. One of the great graces that God has given us as a church, we've been a church now for 13 years, and we started the church on April 17th in 2005. Jennifer and I were in our mid-30s at the time, and we were, I think, amongst the oldest people in the church at the time, and there were very few of us. And God has grown our church numerically. He's grown it generationally. And praise God, he's grown it with different cultures and different ethnicities. And that's a great gift. But I, I think we, we, we still have work to do to appreciate and to, to have conversations amongst the different generations and different cultures that God is gathering here together as, as a church. And those are difficult conversations to have. They're not conversations that you can have over social media with Facebook posts. There, there, there are decent and good reasons why Christians, because of different life experiences, may find themselves on, on different ends of the political spectrum. Or different perspectives on, on racial tensions in our culture. And Christians should lead the way in being People that listen well and speak with humility and grace. I think just one application to my life as a pastor and our life as a church about the gospel applying to all of life is that we, as God is gathering different cultures here and different generations in Crosspoint, that we be a, a people that are radically committed to listening to each other and to assuming the best of our brothers and sisters. Assuming the best. 1 Corinthians 13 says that love hopes all things and believes all things. And I think in, in, in application, that means that, that, that when I'm sitting across from a brother or sister that maybe has a different life experience or a different subculture than I do, 
I am going to believe and hope the best of all things in that person rather than assuming the negative stereotype that my subculture has about their subculture. And then I think it means that we as Christians empathize with each other. And there's a difference between empathy and sympathy. Empathy means that we put ourselves in the other person's shoes and understand how they may think of a situation differently than we do. And we resolve, we just absolutely resolve not to generalize. I think that's a, I think that's a, a coming frontier. Let me put it to you this way. I think that's something that we as a church need to engage in in a, in a gracious, humble, Christ-like way. I, I want to be more Christian than I am American. I'm grateful that I'm American. I went to the United States Military Academy. I served in our nation's military. When I was a little kid, I used to stand at attention when Ronald Reagan was on TV giving speeches. I was a weird child. I was a strange, <laughs> strange child. I, 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 I love America, but America can become an idol for conservative Christians, and that's a problem. That's a problem. We're not justified by conservatism or patriotism. We're justified by Christ. And we, as a, as a church that is in a particular area, that is a majority culture, need to be very careful that we listen well to the brothers and sisters that God is bringing us. And we need to see ourselves more connected to them than we are to our particular temporary de demographic, right? And I just confess, I don't, I don't always do these things well. I don't always do these things well. What, what might this look like in, in your life? Just think, just consider. Maybe, maybe what I've been talking about just hasn't even connected with you, and that's fine. Just, just think about, has the good news of the gospel, the, the claims of the utter exhaustive lordship of Christ, has it impacted every area of your life? Or... Have you just sort of baptized your previous convictions and painted it with a Christian veneer? I think that's what a lot of Christians are in danger of doing. They, they merely Christianize their previous convictions. And, and they don't let the gospel inform the way they view all of life. Secondly, we, we must strive for biblical community. We must strive for it, and this has been a challenge, that as the church has grown, we were just a, a, a group that could fit in a living room 13 years ago, and we've grown, and praise God for that. But I confess that we, I, as the primary leader, um, have, have not always done a good job of thinking about ways that we can foster community here as the church has grown. At times, I have felt overwhelmed by the acute week-to-week -week pastoral issues that I face. <laughs> and sometimes I'll look up and it's been six or seven or eight months since I've checked back in with somebody that I know needed my help. And I feel, I sit at my desk and I, I feel such conviction. And then, and then, and then I feel guilt because I haven't really empowered the church in many ways to, to do this together, to, to make it a, a kind of corporate task as well. There's, of course, there's much of that going on, but as well as I should have. And I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry for that. And, and we and I, I need to do better.
And we're, we're thinking about in our pastoral meetings and discussing about how we can do this to do this better. But let me, let me put one little biblical word in your heart to spur us on, to, to stir us up to love and good deeds. The Bible, Bible says in Romans 12, verses 9 through 13. Let me read Romans 12, verses 9 through 13. It says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. This is written to Christians. Nobody in this room that's a Christian is exempt from this. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Listen to verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That word hospitality, I want to put that in your heart. I want you to know what that word hospitality means. We, we think of hospitality as just somebody that might just be good at opening up their house and like a, a kind of, you know, good cook or somebody that can, you know, just host well. And, and certainly that, that's part of it. But in the original language that the New Testament was written in Greek, that word hospitality comes from a combination of two words, philos, meaning brotherly love, like where we get the word Philadelphia from, philos, and xenio, strangers. And so what hospitality means, in a, in a real literal sense, is the love of strangers, the love of foreigners, the love of people not like you. So hospitality is not just opening your house to friends or people like you, but it's opening your house to people not like you. People not in your social sphere. People that come from different backgrounds and subcultures. It's, it's, op- it's loving you, your, your stranger that is, um, is among you. And when we do this, it commends the gospel in a beautiful and unique way. For instance, practically in, the, in, this, in this church, uh, we, we think that getting together outside of just our Sunday morning services is, is really important for the Christian life. We don't think it's sufficient for you to spend an hour and a half or two hours here on a Sunday morning and have no other connection. And so we seek to do biblical community in the context of community groups that gather through the week. But let me just say, we need more community groups. We need more people that call Crosspoint home to prioritize life in this local church and to love strangers among them and open up your home to people at Crosspoint. And guess what? It's not like the Instagram picture of some core group that's meeting or some community group where everybody's kind of beautiful and they're leaning forward with their Bible, you know, and they all look cool and hip and they're having this wonderful biblical discussion about applying. No, it's not like that. Being with other Christians in a living room is awkward and hard and kind of taxing for the glory of God. God doesn't sanctify you by putting you in comfortable, Instagram-filtered environments. He sanctifies you by yoking you to people who are hard to love, and you're also one of the people that he's yoking somebody else to because, newsflash, you're hard to love too. And man, we just, we need more people that are mature, faithful Christians. I don't know, just like have a burden for people, have a love for the church to, 
just consider if you're a member of this church and you're a mature Christian and you love the gospel and people, man, would you, would you pray right now? Would you pray today? Just consider opening. We need more of those. We need more. Right now there's all the, ah, oh, but what about, ah, oh, I don't like the way, Anna, oh, hush. <laughs> would you just, would you consider it? And would you maybe email one of the pastors? Robert Ward is the pastor that oversees this. He'd love to talk to you about that. Another area, friends, just, like, you know, um, children's ministry. Now, I, I want to I say something here. Um, we, we, we talk about how many children we have at this church a lot. We do. We've, right now, there's anywhere from two to 250, sometimes even upwards of that, children outside of this room from birth to elementary school that are serving, that are, that are, that are being cared for by people members of this church. And we always are running short on volunteers to serve in that way. And we, you know, we, we've not done well in recruiting volunteers. And I think some of, the, some of the ways we've not done well is maybe we've gotten up here and we've been a little silly and sarcastic. You need to serve, you know, and it's kind of been a little, and maybe we've been a little, a little harsh and our tone has not been pastoral. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for that. It's been immature of us to some degree. But, but it's a stress on the life of this church. We have some 600 members. Less than half of you serve in children's ministry. And Kristen Wise, our children's ministry director, works her fingers to the bone along with room directors struggling and striving to fill those rooms. And we're about to send out a church plant core team of about 70 to 80 folks. Praise God. Many of them are people that work in those rooms. So there's just going to be a great vacuum. And we have a church that's full of military folks that every spring we lose about 50 members just from the military sending them away. And we've done a poor job, apparently, I think, certainly, of, of, of just figuring that out. And so I'm just like, can you help us with that? Can, can, you, can, you, can you receive our repentance? And can you, can you consider one Sunday out of five Serving in children's ministry, can, if you're an empty nester, if you, your kids are gone and maybe you did your part at another church, okay, but that's not, you're here now. Like this body needs you, you know? And would you serve? Would you just consider serving one out of five? And then, and then one Sunday, it's going to be frustrating. It's definitely going to be the Sunday that I preach for an hour and a half and you're going to be mad at me. But that will be an opportunity for you to not consider yourself and to consider others better than yourself. And you will actually grow more into Christ's likeness by not hearing a sermon, but giving your time away for the glory of God and the good of children. Forgive me for not leading well in that area. But be rebuked if you haven't followed well. What might this look like in your life, biblical community? Maybe you've been sitting in the same section for months or years, and I love that. Don't change, don't move, because I know where you are. And I, like, I, I have a mental picture. I like that you sit in the same places. And those of you that move around, I like, thank you, but it does mess me up, because I wonder where you are. Anyway. <laughs> consider, consider making 
appointing yourself the mayor of your section. And you know what the mayor of a section does? They show up a little early and they leave a little late and they have their head on the swivel to care for their section. Hey, how are you? How long have you been sitting here? This is my section. Oh, this is your section too? I mean, sections can have more than one mayor. And make it your mission to know everybody's name in your little area. Ask how you can pray for them this week. Write it down. Do something revolutionary and actually pray. And then come back the next week and ask them how that thing is going. And seek to love strangers. The strangers that aren't in Uganda or China but are sitting down the row from you. Maybe you've been a, a fruitful, committed member of Crosspoint for some time, and it's grown, and there are some people you don't know. Can I, can I exhort you to take one of our member directories and to make this the second most important piece of literature that you own other than your Bible? And to each week work through this and pray every <laughs> I'm so self-absorbed that one of the ways that I fight my self-absorption because I'm always blue on Mondays because I think the sermon stunk and I'm pathetic and so one of the ways that I fight my self-absorption is every Monday morning I look at every face in this directory and I say, Lord, help them. And as I go through it, I think about some of the issues that you are facing. And it breaks my heart. And I, I plead with I, God to help them. Help them. And maybe you've been a member here for a long time. Pick up some of that and, and take this and, and get your eyes off of yourself and learn the faces. And don't, don't, don't just be okay with, with, with just a church growing and you being less in touch, fight against that. Strive for biblical community. Maybe you've been attending here for a long time and you're not a member. And I, I, encourage, you to, I encourage you to come to our next member class and consider joining. Not, hear my heart on this, not because we just want more members. Friends, if we just wanted to grow this church for statistical pride, we wouldn't be sending off 70 or 80 of our most fruitful members to plant a church. We're doing that because we want to be a healthy church more than we want to be a big church. And I think part of being a healthy Christian is to be in a kind of formal relationship with other Christians. And what do I mean by formal? A kind of acknowledgement that you are committed to one another. And I think what we call in our culture church membership is a biblical expression of that type of commitment that Christians have towards one another in the local church. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 says. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them. That's not so much what I want to focus on. That's not me trying to push you into obeying what I said. Don't, don't hear that. Hear, hear the second part here. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls 
as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Friends, that verse does not make any sense outside of the context of some sort of commitment of a group of people to what we would call in our English language membership. And the way we do it here is every few months we have a class where we very clearly go through what we believe about the Bible and what we think it means to be a Christian in community. And then before a person is formally a member at Crosspoint, we sit down with them and we, we hear how they came to Christ and we, we, we make sure that they understand what the Bible says about the gospel so that we don't give them false assurance by making them think that they're okay with God just because they're physically here. And then we bring them forward and present them to the church at a member meeting for membership and they become members of the church. Friends, just this past week, I sat down with a dear couple, and I, I kind of knew them from a distance, and I loved them, and I knew a, a little bit about them, but not much. And then for the next several hours, they just were telling me their story, and God just knit my heart together with them. And I, and I heard about how I can care for them and pray for them and know them, and we now are together in the same local church family, committed to one another for the glory of God. Listen to what, what this... Puritan pastor back in the 1600s said about, about my responsibility and the other pastor's responsibility for you. And I think this commends commitment to the local church that you attend. Listen to what Richard Baxter said. This is a little bit of a lengthy quote, but you can handle it. I've read those things about how it says, don't read long quotes because it'll bore people. Hogwash. Come on. You can pay attention to all sorts of trivial junk. You can pay attention to some truth here. This is what Richard Baxter says in his book, Reformed Pastor. He says, take heed, this is a word to pastors about how they should know people in their churches. Take heed to all the flock. It is, you see, all the flock or every individual member of our charge. To this end, it is necessary that we should know every person that belongeth to our charge. For how can we take heed to them if we do not know them? We must labor to be acquainted not only with the persons, but with the state of all of our people, with their inclinations and conversations, what are the sins of which they are most in danger, and what duties they are most apt to neglect, and what temptations they are most liable to. For if we know not their temperament or disease, we are not likely to prove successful physicians. Just contrast that with American evangelicalism that just wants numbers, 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 so we can post on Facebook how many people we had at our, our Easter service. Friends, that's vanity. Being thus acquainted with all the flock, we must afterward take heed to them. One would imagine that every reasonable man would be satisfied of this and that it would need no further proof. Doth not a careful shepherd look after every individual sheep and a good schoolmaster after every individual scholar and a good physician after every particular patient, and a good commander after every individual soldier, why then should not the shepherds, the teachers, the physicians, the guides of the churches of Christ take heed to every individual member of their charge? Christ himself, the great and good shepherd that hath the whole to look after, doth yet take care of every individual like him whom he describes in the parable who left the ninety and nine sheep in the wilderness to seek after that was lost." And then he says, you see, it was then considered as a duty to look after every member of the flock by name. 
I love this last sentence, not accepting the meanest servant man or maid. Now, that word meanest in 1600s um, English meant like the lowest class, the most humble of the people. But I think it also kind of applies. <laughs> like in the other way. <laughs> in other words, we, we got to... This is serious business. Like being part of a local church, man, and, and in American church culture, we've just boiled it down to just kind of coming in and checking the block and getting your fill and going out. Friends, we can't live like that. The world is too harsh. The devil is too strong. The res residue of sin in our, in our lives is too fierce. We have to strive for this type of biblical community. And then finally, we must remember the mission of the church. I won't take the time to read it, but at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says that all authority in heaven has been given to him. And he says, go therefore. And he's not just speaking to his 12 disciples. He's speaking to the church. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We don't exist merely for ourselves here. We exist for the glory of God amongst our neighbors and the nations. And so know that we're on a mission here. And a, the mission we're on is not merely for a comfortable place for you to come hear good doctrine or to be in a spiritually acceptable environment for you, but for you and for all of us to have the gospel come and hit and reorient and turn our lives upside down and send us out together as a collective people on mission in our time and place for the glory of God. To that end, we want to plant churches, which we're doing here this summer. But we don't only want to church plant, we want to, we want to help to revitalize churches in our city. We're sending out a young man who's a wonderful preacher of the gospel. But we've got several other young men on our staff, too, that are wonderful preachers of the gospel. Who, who in many ways are better preachers of the gospel than I am. And I don't want them to be preaching for the next few decades only once every once in a while. But for them to go pastor other churches in our city. So that we, we infiltrate the existing churches and plant new churches with the glory of the gospel unashamedly preached. And that takes commitment and sacrifice. It means that every few years we send 50, 60, 70 people to go. And it means that the rest of us have to step up and fill and serve and roll up our sleeves because we're not here merely for ourselves. It means that we send not only people to the neighborhoods in Columbus, but we send people to the nations. And we send, we have two couples that were couples that were part of this church that have gone to be full-time missionaries. We pray that there will be more. Do you realize that Springer, our pastor over missions, has a kind of subversive plan? And he organizes all of these wonderful missions trips. Some are going to Uganda, China. And it's wonderful to go for a week and help Pastor Raphael and encourage him and to learn from him. But really, there's a subversive plan. Springer is sending you on these trips to hope that you get infected with the gospel bug and that you might be a type of person who says, I'm willing to give my life away full time for the service of the gospel in a place where Christ is not fully known. And I pray that there would be more among us that would go 
And, and get out of your mind necessarily the only paradigm of a full-time missionary sent by a mission-sending agency or a church, a kind of ordained minister. Think also about coming alongside our dear brother Gareth Franks, who was here a few weeks ago in the United Arab Emirates. And in the United Arab Emirates, it's filled with industries and nationals from all over other countries of the world. Consider going and finding a job in Abu Dhabi as an engineer or a school teacher and being a tent maker and coming alongside Gareth for the glory of God amongst the church there. Consider if you are a college student that is about to graduate from college, giving up the next few years of your life to get a job teaching English as a second language or being a school teacher or doing something with the skills that you have been trained so that you can come alongside the work of the gospel in a local church in that country and be an encouragement for the gospel there. As some industry or some company funds your missionary work, Friends, let's have people doing this. And then let's not just think about that. And some of you may not be called to this type of foreign work. And some of you may not be called to church, church planting. I hope that some of you stay. <laughs> but if you stay, consider yourself as a missionary in your subculture. God put you at Tesis. Or he put you in that mommy playgroup. Or he put you in that particular platoon. Or he put you in that particular classroom to be a missionary in your subculture. Strike up gospel conversations. Invite your friends to your community group, to your church. And remember that you aren't here for yourself. And this church isn't here for itself, but it's here for the glory of God. Friends, the hope of the world is not a political party or a platform. It's not a cool vibe in a local church. It's the message of the gospel and the life of the local church that lives it out. We are a society of pardoned rebels who love one another and hold up Christ to an onlooking world so that God would use our collective life together to be the means by which he draws and pardons a multitude of other rebels for his glory. Let's come to the table now and ask the Lord to help us live like this. In just a moment, the ushers are going to be in position to serve us. In fact, brothers, if you'd go ahead and find your spots. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're welcome to come to this table and receive communion with us. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Christ, we encourage you not to receive communion, not because we're trying to embarrass you or single you out in any way, but because we don't want you to confess something that you don't yet believe. What we're doing at this table when we're taking this piece of bread and this cup is we are remembering the gospel that we have looked at at the beginning of this message, that Jesus' body was torn for us and be because his body was torn and his blood was spilled, we now can draw near to a holy God and be in right relationship with him. We can be saved from our sins. And it would be very unloving of us to give you the impression that you're right with a holy God merely because you do this with us. This is a family meal. 
If you're not a Christian, we don't leave this building. Don't leave this building without talking to somebody about what it means to be a Christian if you haven't figured it out already. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're welcome to come to take this bread and cup and receive together with this faith family. Let me pray. Father, help us now to consider to take these brief and insufficient words and to consider how we might stir one another up to love and good deeds. Because the glory of God is on the line and the eternal destiny of souls hangs in the balance. Make us this type of church more and more. Thank you for how it's already happening in our church and fan it into flame, I pray, by your Holy Spirit. I pray that my brothers and sisters would not be chastened today by me, but if there's any chastening, let it be by the Holy Spirit and let them be exhorted. Let all of us be exhorted in this way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.